Well, good morning, and we are glad you're with us, whether you're watching on Facebook uh, or you are watching on YouTube. Uh, we are thankful that you've chosen to spend this time with us. Uh, we are continuing our study of the Beatitudes, and I'll be honest, I believe our timing for all of this series, for doing this series, and then the topics that we've covered along the way have been uh, really inspired. Uh, I feel like God has just said, this is what you need to be talking about, and today is a day uh, that the beatitude that we're going to be talking together about is, is very, very poignant for what's going on in the world today. So uh, I want to remind you that I'm going to teach for a little bit, and if you're normally a part of our church uh, live, then we will do a lot of engagement during the service. We can't really do that. We try to do that a little bit online initially, but it was hard. So we are going to um, finish our service in just a little bit. And then if you would like to stick around and you would like to continue to have a conversation, which I anticipated much of the conversation will probably be about the events that are going on around the, our country right now, um, then we, we welcome you to do that. Um, many of you are watching on YouTube. If you would like to comment, you can jump over to Facebook and, uh, and that way we'll interact with you through Facebook at the conclusion of the service. Uh, but if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 5. I want to remind us where we've been. Um, when we read the Beatitudes strictly as a checklist of behaviors and characteristics in which we need to follow those characteristics, then we miss really what Jesus was trying to teach. We also forget that this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, is very early in Jesus' public ministry. In fact, the disciples that are gathering around him uh, are not the 12 because he's just starting to call the 12. So there are people that have been watching Jesus, hearing Jesus, and specifically have been watching Jesus heal the sick, heal the lame, and teach in a way that they are not used to in a time uh, of occupation and a time when their lives just really aren't that great. Uh, the fact that Jesus is teaching this sermon to a group of people that have just scattered around him, hoping that he will provide some hope, some help, uh, tells me that the message that Jesus was giving there uh, and then is also the message that we need here today. But we do need to understand the context for which this message is coming. Jesus is introducing what he is going to be teaching about and what he's going to be giving his life for uh, in just a, a few short years. Um, so as we go through this, recognize that Jesus is not so much giving us a list. Like, if you want to follow me, you got to do all these things. Instead, what he's saying is, this is what it looks like to walk with God, to experience the kingdom, and for your life to truly be changed. This is what it's going to look like. In some ways, for us, it may be a better litmus test of where we are rather than it is just something we need to go out and try harder to do better. But it also uncovers really the heart of God and the heart of Christ and what he wants his ministry to be about. So I want us to begin like we have the last few weeks with the beginning of the Beatitudes, and we're going to go through what we've covered so far, and then we're going to move forward today, uh, which Jesus begins to shift into talking about persecution. And I think that is very fitting for what's going on in the world today around us. Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. Seeing the crowds, remembering who these are. These are people that are sick, who are poor, who can't take care of themselves, who are hoping for some help, hoping for a glimpse of Jesus, hoping that if they're sick, he'll be able to heal them. If they're lame, he'll be able to heal them. They have gathered in mass around him, 
And as he seized the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Each of these Beatitudes build on the previous statements in which Jesus is making. And as we follow through, and if you'd like to go back and, and hear any of the other messages on the Beatitudes, they're all available online. You can watch them on YouTube. You can watch them on our website. Uh, you can listen to them on iTunes. Uh, they're all available. And what we'll find is that Jesus is often quoting something from somewhere else when he issues this beatitude, but he's beginning to shift the understanding of an Old Testament teaching to what he is fulfilling in his life and then future death, burial, and resurrection. So Jesus is often continuing a teaching that has been around from the very beginning, and he's helping people to understand this is what the law was about. This is what God was trying to push us to. This is what it looks like to be made in his image. This is what it looks like to truly be a disciple. And as we've walked through, we've somewhat defined these and maybe some more words that we would use today versus some of the beatitude language in which we have heard over and over. And I want to remind you that the word beatitude comes from the Latin word beati, which means blessed. It is not an attitude you were supposed to be. It is an attitude I hope that we become but it is not a statement of this is what, this is what you got to do now if you're going to be a, a Christian. Now, this is what you have to do. Instead, if you're going to honestly follow Christ and let him change you and make you a new creation, this is what's going to happen within you. So as we walk through these, we found that blessed are those who trust in God more than anything else, and they mourn over brokenness that sin causes in people and the world. The kingdom belongs to those they mourn over this. Instead of coming in as the middle class of spirit or the rich in spirit, the poor in spirit comes saying, I don't have anything to bring to the table. All I have is faith in God, and I mourn the brokenness that keeps me from experiencing that fully. It's an incredible promise for those who struggle, who are poor in spirit, who do not feel like they're at the top of their game or on the top of the heap when it comes to culture or society. It's for those who do not feel like they have it all together, or when they walk in the room, everyone stops and listens to them. Instead, it are the, those that are marginalized, those who are not listened to, those who are struggling, those who are not seen as successful, these are the people that are blessed because as they reach out to God and say, I bring nothing to the table, all that I have that is good comes from you. That is the people who are blessed and the kingdom belongs to them. And then we see that blessed are those who quietly, the meek, the quietly and humbly, you strength from the Holy Spirit. We're not aggressive. We're not in your face. And we're not coming and, and, and threatening you. But instead, just very quietly and humbly exude strength. You, you know someone like this. They're not the one who has to always speak up. They're not the one who has to have the loudest voice in the room. But yet, when they are there, their presence exudes strength. And you are drawn to them because we are drawn to those who humbly and quietly are strong. Because secretly, that's what most of us want. 
We can have that as a follower of Jesus, recognizing that that power comes from the Holy Spirit. It doesn't come from within us. And yet we do it just as the fruit of the Holy Spirit promises self-control. We are able to control that. And in doing so, there is a great blessing. You will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who yearn to do what is right and to heal relationships between people and God. These yearnings will be satisfied. This is the beatitude that we will hunger and thirst for righteousness. Hungering and thirsting. Yearning for righteousness. And I hope that you've been following because really all of the Beatitudes hinge on a deeper understanding of righteousness. Now, I, I myself, I like to be right, okay? And my family jokes about me wanting to be right. My father and I, we have a saying, I may not be right, but I'm never in doubt, right? Do you know anybody like that? Well, if you know me, I'm, I like to be right. And, and sometimes when I enter into an argument, I have to tell myself, Mark, stop. Stop. Just don't don't try to be right because you may not be right. And it honestly takes some maturity and growing up to come to the place of saying, well, I might not be right. And when you come to that place of saying, well, I might not be right, it opens you up to conversations and relationships you wouldn't have otherwise. What, what we see in the understanding of what righteousness really is, there is a component of doing what is right or being right. And, and our understanding in faith and as Christians is that that rightness comes in what God says is right. Not, not what I want to say is right. Because we all have our own uh, opinions, right? We, we all have our own ideas about what is right and what is wrong. In fact, that, that is really part of what the original sin was that we talked about in Genesis. The original sin, eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, is our ability to decide for ourselves what is right and wrong, rather than just listening to God and saying what he says is right versus what he says is wrong. But there is that component of righteousness being, uh, you know, doing what is right and and being right, but there, there's an understanding in the text of Scripture, both in the old and the new, that righteousness is not just about this abstract being right versus someone else being wrong. It is the idea of doing right by someone. It's relational. Righteousness is relational. And what we find throughout Scripture and what we find throughout the Beatitudes and what we find also when we begin to talk about persecution is that there is a place of righteousness in which we seek to, re, to re reconcile and resolve differences between people and between people and God. This relational aspect of righteousness is what many in the history of the church have missed when we want to beat somebody over the head with the Bible or we want to tell them all the things that they do wrong even though they don't proclaim to be followers of Jesus. We have a tendency to bully people when we understand righteousness outside of the context of restoring relationships. And so what God wants from us is that we would yearn, hunger, and thirst to see relationships restored first with God, then with each other, which is why Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. And the second is like it, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. This righteous idea of reconciling people together requires relational growth. Now, when you get that, it changes your understanding of action, of holding people accountable, and what it really looks like to evangelize and share the gospel with people. Because as we hunger and thirst for this righteousness, what Jesus is saying is you're, you're going to be satisfied. You're going to see this happen. And 
even if it begins with you, just in you and your relationship with God, you will begin to see this happen in your relationship with other people. We cannot be the church and not be relational. That's one of the reasons we struggle doing online service and everything online is because that relational component adds a depth that what just simply being in front of a screen can't provide. When we hunger and thirst for righteousness, it changes everything. And he says those yearnings will be satisfied because this is exactly what God wants. He wants us to yearn for these things. Now, he then goes on into these next section uh, of Beatitudes, and he says when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, there are some behaviors that are going to begin to come out in you. And the first one that we looked at is that you will be merciful. Mercy is not the thing like, I have to go be merciful. Like, I really want to hurt you right now, but Jesus won't let me. But if he would, I would just put a hurt on you. You That's not the idea of mercy. Instead, the idea of mercy is that we have the ability to inflict punishment on someone and we choose not to. We choose not to punish even when we could, and we do that because we know God could have punished us, and through Christ he chose not to. Jesus took all of that punishment for us. It is the motivation for our mercy. But blessed are those who withhold punishment of others, just as God has withheld our own punishment for sin. So when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, to do what is right, to be right, and to restore relationships, to do right by others, for God to do right by us, then we will be merciful and we will withhold punishment. Beyond being merciful, we also will be pure in heart. And we discussed that blessed are those hearts who have been changed and and not just their outside appearances. Now you know what this feels like and you know what this looks like. Authenticity. Does this person really believe what they say they believe? Do they really love Jesus and love other people, or is that all an act? Now, maybe sometimes it's hard to tell, but there's always someone that it's not hard to tell, right? You know it's just an act. They, they come to church, and they're all nice and, and friendly and everything, but then they walk out, and they're just as mean as a snake. And you know that deep within them is not that authentic, true faith and love of Christ. It's an act. Jesus is saying for those who are pure in heart, because Jesus always looks at the heart. He looks at what's really going on inside of us. It is not our outside behaviors that we have to spend all our time modifying. It's all about seeing our heart change. This is why Jesus said, you are a new creation. You're new. You're brand new. I'm making you into something that you weren't before. Because the pure in heart are blessed. They are happy they are jubilant. They are also, as we under, understand the, 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 the idea of blessing, as being set apart or consecrated or made holy. So this blessing comes for those who are the same on the inside as on the outside. Now, that we have to be careful because I know that I should be better at times than I really am. And that's part of growing. So it's not that the pure in heart are always perfect. But we recognize that on the inside, I have to be really who I am. That's, that's why we believe and we want to live in such a way here that you can come as you are, but you don't stay that way. But in doing that, we ourselves are not trying to pre- pretend to be something. It's better to just be honest. You know what? I'm not as great as you, you really wish I was. And just be honest about that. There's a freedom in living that way, but I'm also not any worse 
than you think I am. There's a real freedom in living that way. And what Jesus is saying is, for those who are pure in heart, whose hearts are being changed, their lives are being aligned with Christ, and they're truly inside and out different. The Holy Spirit is just transforming them. They are blessed. And the the beautiful promise and the beautiful blessing for those who are pure in heart is what really all followers of Jesus want, and that is that they would see God, just to see him, and, and, you know, not to visually, like he's sitting next to us, but instead we'll experience him, we'll understand him, we'll see his work around us more. It's a beautiful promise, and it's a beautiful thing to be fulfilled. And then as Scott did a great job talking last week, blessed are those who seek peace, the peacemakers, and he did a good job talking about the difference between peacemaking and peace keeping but two ideas of peace here is the idea that we are at peace with god and we are bringing again if we draw in our understanding of righteousness and being relational as well as doing and being right then that peacemaking is peace with god peace between people because that's what god wants for all people he wants there to be peace with him and peace with each other. That is supposed to be the picture of the church, the body. One of the reasons that, that Jesus says, you know what, you shouldn't be out suing each other believers. You should be able to come to a peaceful resolution and do what is right for each other because that relational bind or bond is so important. But he seeks for us to bring peace, to be a peacemaker and to bring peace to others. It's the idea of shalom. Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. We read a, a, an incredible uh, passage of Jesus sending out his disciples once he's been teaching and, and they've uh, come together. He, he sends 72 of his disciples out. And he says, I want you to go out and I, I want you to, to get a partner and I want you to share the gospel. And when you come into a new town, you're not taking anything with you. So when you come into a new town, I, I want you to go into a house and pronounce peace on it. And this is where Jesus introduces us to this really crazy idea that there is what is called a son of peace or a person of peace. That if you enter into a house and you pronounce peace on it, this peace with God and peace with others, God's peace on earth, then they will receive it and they will receive you. But if they won't, if they're not a person of peace, then that peace will return to you. You'll know it. And so we have the ability to be a people of peace, which I can't think of a more important time right now for us than that we be people of peace, not stoking the fires of division, of anger, and trying to turn people against each other. Instead, seeking reconciliation, seeking healing, trying to understand what are the root of the issues that are going on in our city around us, in our country, and in our world. How can we understand what's happening happening and if we are serious about following jesus we will not stoke the fires we will seek to bring peace in the midst of those fires as we enter into this next section of the beatitudes this is where things really begin to take a turn because everybody you know it's good blessed i want to be blessed yes i want to be happy yes and jesus he he just has a tendency to teach this way like, you think this is all easy and good, but I want to make sure you really understand the depths that I'm talking about here because he then veers off into persecution 
something that most of us spend most of our, if not all of our lives, trying to avoid. And yet what Jesus says is, listen, not only, <laughs> not only can you not avoid it, but you're actually going to be blessed because of it. Now, if you're uncertain about whether you're following Jesus or not, uh, these next few verses are probably going to either push you in one direction or the other. <laughs> they, they may push you in the direction of saying, you know what, I'm out. Okay, this is too much. This is too serious. This is not what I want for my life. Or it could push you to the place of saying, this is real. This is true. I mean, this is deeper than anything I've ever lived for within my life before. That's what it could tell you. So as we enter into this, um, these wonderful characteristics, I understand that the world does not want you to live out these blessings. The world does not want you to be a person who is meek. The, the world does not want you to be a person who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. The world does not want you to be a peacemaker. The world does not want you to be merciful. The world wants you to be harsh, just like the world is. The world want, does not want you to be at peace with God. The world wants you to be at war with God, because then the world wins, and we miss out on all of the wonderful promises in which God gives us. Understand that the world does not pat us on the back for living out these things. Even though Jesus says we're blessed, the world is going to push back. They're going to push back hard, and at times they're going to push back lethally. So as we enter into this, let's look at Matthew 5, 10 through 12. We're actually going to break up verses 10 and 11. Um, we're actually going to break those up for this week and next week because he's talking about two different types of persecution. While the persecution itself is the same, he's talking about two different types, and I want to spend a week on each. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. There's that word again. Be right. Do right. That relational component. Doing right by someone. God doing right by us. Restoring, reconciling relationships. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Next week we'll talk about verse 11 and 12. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you. Uh, persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. That's an important thing we'll talk about next week. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So if we're going to enter into this, like many of the Beatitudes that we've done before, we have to understand, well, what does do some of these words mean? Like, what does it mean to be persecuted. So if we're going to talk about persecution, we American Christians are horrible about misdefining this word. Like, uh, you know, I went to uh, get breakfast one day at McDonald's, which I don't do very often, but I had a hankering for some sausage burritos. I don't know if you ever have a hankering for that non-type food food. You know, it's not really food. I don't know what it is, but you put a little bit of sauce on it and it tastes pretty good. One day I was working and I thought, I'm just going to swing into the drive-thru. I'm going to grab me some sausage burritos. And I pulled in and they uttered the words you never want to hear in that moment when you're hungry for something. I'm sorry, we're out. How does this happen? I know it's a pandemic, but we're talking about McDonald's here. How are you out of sausage burritos, right? Now, as American Christians, we have a tendency, if we are inconvenienced in any way, that we have a tendency to say, well, I'm being persecuted. Like McDonald's is literally persecuting me from withholding the sustenance I need through these sausage burritos, right? We, we have a tendency to do that. Or, or, or we joke sometimes about musicians, the string breaks on, on stage when you're trying to play. I'm, it's, it's God, Satan's persecuting me. No, he's not. Your string broke, right? 
You're not being persecuted for that. We have a tendency to take small inconveniences and elevate them to the place of persecution because for some reason our culture values martyrdom where we get to just say, oh, how woe is me, how hard my life is, and we want people to feel bad for us. That is not the way we live following Jesus. That is not what it looks like to conquer death, to conquer sin, and to walk with the creator of all things for all eternity. That is not what it looks like, but we sometimes do that. So we have to understand, well, what is persecution? If it's not the fact that they were out of sausage burritos for the day, what does it look like? And I, I came across what I thought was a great definition that, under, that, that explains lots of persecution and actually opens up a, a longer conversation than we can even have today. Persecution, this is the definition I found. If you're following along on version, all these notes are on version. It is this, the act of harassing, oppressing, or killing people because of their difference from society. I want to read that again. I want you to listen to this again, all right? Persecution is the act of harassing, oppressing, or killing people because of their difference from society. Now, persecution can happen in a number of different ways. And if we want to jump to to the deep end of the pool on the concept of persecution, sometimes Christians, we persecute people. And we don't want to talk about that. Almost every sermon you've ever heard, if not every sermon you've ever heard, says we are persecuted. We poor, persecuted Christians, we are persecuted. And yes, we are. Do you know, sometimes we persecute other people. Sometimes we're cruel to other people. Sometimes we say things because we want to shame other people because they don't believe the things we believe. Sometimes we do it on Facebook. Sometimes we do it by text. Sometimes we do it face-to-face. Sometimes we do it anonymously. We, at times, persecute others. Persecution is not new with Jesus. Persecution is not uh, new with Christians. Persecution has been, a long, uh, has been around as long as sin has been around. Because sin at its core does two devastating things to God's creation. It breaks relationships with God, and it breaks relationships with others. And what better way to do that than for two people to be angry and to try to hurt each other? That breaks relationships. It makes the enemy extremely happy, and it breaks God's heart so much that he sent his son to die on the cross to begin to restore relationships in a way the law never could. Now, if we read through the Old Testament, we find persecution in lots of different ways. As we, as we look through Israel, we find that Israel was persecuted, not just because they were Israel, but they were persecuted because they wouldn't accept the gods of their neighbors. And so their neighbors would go to war with them and invade them. And they had the audacity, the audacity to say, there is only one true God, and that is the God we worship. Well, people who worship other gods don't particularly like that, especially when they're looking at your promised land and thinking, oh, I would like to have that. I think we are stronger than you and we can take that and you have insulted us and our gods or God because you say yours is the only real true God and you will not worship ours. And so Israel time and time again had to fight their neighbors because of persecution. That's not the only reason they had to fight their neighbors, but that's one of them. One of the the great stories we read um, that you you grew up, if you grew up in church, you heard this was the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, They were thrown in the fiery furnace because they wouldn't bow down to a false statue of the king. 
And it's an incredible story because they don't burn up in the forest, in the furnace. Instead, Jesus is seen in the furnace with them. They come out, and the king's heart and the whole nation's heart is changed as a result of God's work in this moment. But they were undergoing persecution in which they were rescued. We look at the story of Jesus. Jesus was followed by a group of people that persecuted him regularly. The Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, the religious leaders, those people who uh, wanted to silence him, they constantly persecuted him. And then as we watch the development of the church moving forward, we see Paul uh, persecuting Christians even after Jesus uh, has gone to to be in heaven forever to prepare that place for us that he talks about in Luke. And and then his heart is changed on the road to, to Emmaus. And when his heart is changed, he moves from being a persecutor of the church to being a missionary of the church. And he understands Jesus is real. And he has this incredible experience. But before that, he's persecuting them. And then as the church begins to grow, then the oppressors around them begin to persecute them. We see this with the arena in Rome when Christians are just for sport, killed, sacrificed. The persecutions happened along the way. We see that persecution. And if you look at those who study persecution today, uh, one one organization in particular that is often looked, uh, looked at Uh, who is studying the persecution of Christianity, specifically in the world today, is the Center for the Study of Global Christianity. And they, they, um, and looking at the numbers over the last several hundred years, or not several hundred years, several decades, um, had determined that about 90,000 believers a day are persecuted to the point of death because of their faith. Not a day, a year. I said a day. 90,000 a year are persecuted as a result of their faith. Well, let's return back to our definition. So, so, so what is persecution? Persecution is the act of harassing, oppressing, or killing people because of their difference from society. We are mostly focused when we read the Beatitudes about the persecution that happens to religious groups or to Christians or to those who are people of faith. But understand the events that are happening within our community right now, within our city, and within our nation are a group of people that have felt persecuted not only their whole life, but they have felt persecuted their parents' life, their grandparents' life, their grandparents' life, their great-grandparents, their great-great-grandparents' life, in which they are harassed not because of their faith, but they are harassed or oppressed because of the color of their skin. So as we enter into the conversation about what's going on in the world today, I I see two primary responses that I just feel like I I have to address. One is the idea that if if anything happened wrong and, and... the death of George Floyd, it had nothing to do with racism. And if we take that stance, then what we say is that the systemic uh, problem that we see time and time again of a black man who ends up dead as a result of actions that should not have caused him to be dead, when it happens over and over and over again, uh, people feel persecuted, they feel oppressed and, uh, and harassed because their skin color is different. Yes, it sometimes happens to white people. Yes, poverty is a part of this. And so if you are someone who grew up in poverty or is in poverty, you sometimes experience the exact same problems as African Americans experience in the world today. You understand that this is a systemic problem that is so much deeper than just the color of our skin. And what we find is that oppression often happens to those in poverty, and yet our black brothers and sisters often are in that place of poverty more than our white brothers and sisters. The other response I hear is that you, you cannot call out uh, racism in an issue like that and, and, and also call out 
the, the craziness of rioting and looting, shooting police officers, and, and, and harming uh, communities and people. Listen, I absolutely believe what happened in the, in the death of George Floyd was wrong. I believe it, it, there is a component of race within this, and I also believe that the rioting and the looting is absolutely wrong, and those doing it should be arrested. You can believe in both things because my brothers and my sisters who are black struggle to live in the same world in which I live. They feel persecuted, oppressed, and harassed. A, a good friend of mine moved into to a new house just a few months ago and shared with me, I, I'd, I have yet to walk my own neighborhood because I have so many white neighbors, I don't know how they'll react to me. Listen, I had never thought that my entire life. I've never felt afraid to walk in my neighborhood my entire life. Some of my black brothers and sisters drive cars that look like they're barely running, not because they can't afford something better, but if they drive a car in which they can afford, they're going to be looked at as if they stole it, or they're a drug dealer, or they're a gangbanger, not that they are a successful black person who has the income to buy a nice car. I have never considered that within my life, that if I drive a nice car, someone's going to think I've broken the law in which to get it. And yet my black brothers and sisters struggle with that. So when we understand persecution in the sense of what it looks like to live this way, if, if, if I'm in trouble, I tell my kids, listen, this is very personally here. I, if you're in trouble, I tell my kids, find a police officer. Find a police officer. And yet now I have a child who is black. I'm not sure I can tell her to find a police officer. Not because I distrust all police, because I believe we have some of the best police officers in the world right here in Chattanooga that was evidenced by the handling of the protests last night. Because I can't tell the difference between the good, honorable one and the one who's going to kneel on somebody's neck 10 minutes after they said, I'm struggling to breathe here. <laughs> can she get the same treatment as my three white children? I don't know. I hope they can. I pray they can. I work that this is a world in which they can. But I will tell you this. Persecution comes in many ways, and we within the church cannot be so focused on our own persecution that we are blind to the persecution of others. Now, I recognize not everyone agrees with me and feels like I'm going off on a terrible tangent apart from Scripture. I do not believe I am. Because as I sit down and I talk with my brothers and sisters who are not white, they have a different reality than, than I do. That is persecution. Now, that is not specifically what Jesus is talking about, though I believe we should, as people of peace, as peacemakers, we should seek to bring peace to all who are oppressed. Jesus himself said, quoting Isaiah, I am here to rescue the oppressed. How can we follow Jesus and not take up his own mission? To rescue the oppressed. Now, that ultimate rescue, some of you will, who study your, your, your scriptures are going to say, yeah, well, that rescue is salvation. Yes, it absolutely is. But sometimes in order for them to experience salvation, they have to experience a people who know God who show them what that looks like. And we come to their rescue. Now, what does that look like? We wrote a blog this week. You can read it, comment on it. I'm open to a conversation. I am not the same person today I was 20 years ago. You are not the same person you were 20 years ago. I understand if you come from different places on this, but it won't change if we don't have a conversation. 
It won't change unless we move forward. And it won't change until we say what is wrong is wrong. And I will tell you what happened to George Floyd is wrong. What's happening in our cities, burning and looting, is wrong. But I will tell you this, and this is a conversation maybe for after the service or another time, for all who say, you know what, they should only uh, protest peacefully, I'm going to tell you how, how much longer do they have to protest peacefully for us to do something about it. Now, I am not some kind of uh, backwardly coming in the back door saying all of a sudden, yeah, well, I agree with these. I don't agree with them. But I understand them. I understand where they've been pushed to because persecution pushes you to that point, especially if you do not know Jesus. Especially if you do not know Jesus. All right? Okay, I'm going to get off my soapbox for a minute. Get off my soapbox because I want to I handle this beatitude fully before we move on. All right? The key to religious persecution is significant suffering because of your faith. Now, that is multifaceted because your faith will cause you to be different. Your faith will cause you to, to look different to the people around you. And your faith will cause you to be different because you value things differently. You see the world differently. And when people see that in you, they don't like it because they want you to be just like them. So religious persecution is because of your faith. So what is it, this, what is it about this righteousness that brings this kind of persecution in which Jesus is addressing specifically. So, four things. One, believing what's right goes very much in the face of that original sin. You get to make up in your own mind what's right and wrong. People don't like to be told that what they believe is right is wrong or what they believe is wrong is right. People don't like that. We rebel against that. We say, you're not going to tell me how to live my life. And yet righteousness says... That we believe what is right, and when we understand what is right, that is what God says is right. And so that will bring persecution. The second thing is, is that we're going to do what's right, which really gets in the crawl of people that think we shouldn't even believe something different, much less act on it. It's going to bring persecution. Holding other, other people accountable to what is right is also going to bring persecution. If we step in the mix, it's going to to bring persecution. But yet also, this component is that other important and yet often missed understanding of righteousness. This is also what brings persecution as a result of righteousness, and that is doing right by others. Doing right by others. Whenever we are bringing reconciliation between people and people with God, it's crazy because this is where... You know, I was talking with Jake the other day. He was talking about the longest survey that's ever been done. And it was on what brings happiness. And it, I can't remember if Jake were here, I could ask him. I believe he said it's done as like a, a, a combined study between Harvard and Princeton or something like that. And and yeah, and I asked him, okay, so Jake, so you know, Jake studies all this stuff. He he knows all these cultural things. And I said, so what, you know, what do they find? What what brings happiness? Like what's the thing that they found over these you know hundred years or however long this study's been going on? And he said they found out it was it was relationships. Consistently, as long as this longest study ever done has been going, they have found that relationships are what brings the most happiness in life, which interestingly is that component of righteousness we sometimes miss as Christians because that's what God wants for us, are right relationships because he knows they bring blessing and 
joy. And yet the world is so confused by that sin of being able to determine what's right and wrong for me instead of what God says is right and wrong for all of us. What that ends up doing is bringing persecution because the world rebels against that. Doing right by others, bringing reconciliation. So what does all of this mean? I've got to bring this all to a close here somehow. So what does this mean? One of the things it means is that the world not only doesn't pursue righteousness on its own, it actively seeks to silence it from others. It actively seeks to silence um, it from others. This is one of the reasons I think that Jesus is telling them this. You want all these blessings, great, but understand there's going to be something that's going to not feel like a blessing. It actually is, but you're going to be persecuted if you seek righteousness and you seek this reconciliation among people and people with God. There, there's going to be pushback, and it's going to cost you something. You're going to receive a reward, but it's also going to cost you something. This is why Jesus would say things like, you just need to pick up your cross and follow me. Not exactly what some of us are looking for in our faith, right? Like I'm trying to avoid the cross, not actually actively go get one and carry it around with me to follow Jesus. This is why it says that we are to die with Christ. Now Paul experienced this to such a degree that he said, listen, I'm ready to die right now because if I die right now, I get to go be with Jesus forever in heaven. It's going to be incredible. It's way better than this world, but... But this is not what he wants for me. So instead, I'm going to stay. This is why Scripture says we have to die with Christ. We're dying to that old self, to that old way of seeing the world, that old way of defining ourselves, defining each other, defining God. And instead, we die to that. That's gone. That's, that's why we baptize. We baptize because it symbolizes we're dying to that thing. We're, we are aligning ourselves with Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection. We are being made new. That's what baptism symbolizes. It doesn't do something magical. It just shows, listen, I'm not that person anymore. I'm a new person. I'm becoming a new person through Christ and the Holy Spirit. Understand, the enemy wants to keep as many people from that reconciliation that Jesus is promising them as possible. There's a real enemy that we have to fight against. Principalities, spirits, we are fighting against for people to be restored and to be healed and to experience the joy and the happiness that Christ brings. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. I've said that so many times already today. The old has passed away. The new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled, which is such an important word, to us, to himself. And then, this is where that understanding of righteousness begins to, to take deeper root in us. We have been reconciled through Christ... And he has given us the ministry of reconciliation, which means now it's our job to go out and bring reconciliation between people. Which means a lot of us need to get off Facebook, to be honest. How many of our posts are reconciling versus dividing? And I, guilty as charged myself. How many times are we seeking to bring people together rather than apart that is in Christ God, this ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him. Why? We offer mercy. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation, which is evangelism or sharing the gospel. 
Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become, important word, the righteousness of God. We become the righteousness of God because Jesus gave his life for us so we didn't have to pay the penalty for sin. What a beautiful picture of blessing, of love, and of God doing right by us. And we go out and demonstrate the righteousness of God through our lives, which is doing right, being right, and reconciling relationships. That is what God has called us to. Jesus not only said this is going to happen, he said you better go out and make it happen. (laughs) which is an uncomfortable thing for me, that the Great Commission says, listen, I want you to take this message and you're going out into the world and you're telling everybody about it, which is going to lead to all of this stuff. Jesus is serious about, you got, you got to be new. you got to be a new creation if you're going to follow him. If you're going to experience the, the joys of knowing Christ, you can't be playing around. You can't be in and out. You can't be on the fence. You can't, oh, you know... Sometimes I think about God, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I want to do what the Bible says, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I want to read his word, sometimes I don't. You know, that's probably true for all of us at different seasons of our lives. However, what he's saying is you've got to be serious about this stuff because I'm not here to adjust your behavior. I'm here to change your heart. And that requires you being all in. 2 Timothy 3.12 is a promise that Paul is telling Timothy about. And he says, indeed, all, (laughs) you know, sometimes I don't like what Paul says. I'll be honest. I don't like what he says sometimes. But he says, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Sometimes I look in the mirror and think I'm not really persecuted all that much. That does not sound good based on what Paul's telling Timothy. Verse 13 says, while evil people... And imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, which is what's happening in our cities today. There are people that are behind the scenes. Listen, have you seen some of the coverage of the riots? Have you seen the umbrella man? That thing sends chills up my spine. Someone who is inciting. Have you seen the men who deliberately and calmly are stacking up homemade crates? They didn't just go find some wood and set fire in the target parking lot they went and built these things and slowly and methodically brought them in and set them up and set them on fire and slowly and methodically left not out of rage not out of anger there's a lot of deception in a lot of this that we ourselves if we i want to say this is only an issue about right and wrong and we don't try to peel back the layers of what's happening within our culture we will not understand what's happening within our culture because Jesus said, you, you have got to be on target looking for the false deception in the world because that's how the enemy works. And that's how we ourselves have to work. So how do we deal with persecution? Now, this is a simple, small list, and yet it is powerful. I'm not going to pretend it's the only way to deal with persecution. And yet, as I read through God's word, and as I understand the text of the gospel, This is how we deal with persecution. Number one, always number one, always, always, always is if you're being persecuted, we pray. If prayer is not a a central part of within our lives, we are going to struggle to really experience Christ, to know him, and to experience the joy of Christ. 
unless we are in a constant communication and relationship with him. We pray. Persecution requires prayer. It does not require that we go out and we buy a gun. It does not require that we go out and learn how to defend ourselves. It does not go out and say, you know what, I can, I can give as good as you give. I, you know, it, that instead, what's said about Jesus is as a lamb was led to slaughter, so one man gave his life for us. Persecution is not that we fight back so we don't get persecuted. We have to pray. It's what Jesus did. That's why Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took some of his disciples and said, come and pray with me. This is that incredible picture of Jesus that we see as he's praying in the garden and he's sweating drops of blood out of stress and anxiety. He's praying. He's constantly praying. When the pressure's getting high and and, and the, the stakes are getting higher, Jesus constantly says, okay, we got to stop. we got to leave all this stuff. we got to go pray. Jesus, the Son of God, did this. The one in which God spoke and Jesus created, as John tells us, had to get away to pray. So if Jesus had to do it, oh, my word, do we have to do it. If you aren't developing your prayer life, I'm telling you, you are missing out on the greatest tool that you have to grow through persecution. The second thing is this. We have to trust the promises of God. We have to trust that what God says is true. And if he says you're going to be blessed because of this and the world's going to be changed because of this, even your persecution, even if it's your death, we have to believe it. We have to believe that God is there with us, that he's going to comfort us in all of our afflictions, that God in the moments of persecution will give us the words even that we need to share and we need to say. We have to trust in the promises of God. The third thing, it gets much harder and it is this, and this is something we need a lot of, and the church has to has to start, not only start, others are doing it, but we have to lead the way in loving your enemies because Jesus was not content to say, love those people like you that are easy to love. Later in Matthew 5, on the same Sermon on the Mount, he says this, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but... I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain and on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do, you, do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And as we understand that word perfect, complete, whole, idea of shalom, person of peace, or whole. And he says, not only do we love the people that are easy to love, those people that we are really angry with right now, if we're tr- serious followers of Jesus, we have to love them and pray for them. That's not always easy. But that's the stakes in which Jesus has laid down for those who are going to follow him right here at the beginning of his ministry. Fourth thing, how do we deal with persecution? You have to fully live in the blessings that God has given us. That means you have to have a, a, a heart and a mind and eyes to see what God is doing. Because if you don't see what God is doing and you don't see him in the midst of this hardship, in the midst of this persecution, I, it will get frustrating and it will get old and you will want to walk away and you will want to find another way to live your life or you'll uh, find somebody else that will teach a different gospel that leaves all of this out. It just says, you know what, just pray and go to church and give a, give a little bit to the church here and there, and God will make sure you're successful and you're healthy and everything will always go right for you. But Jesus never said any of those things. That's not the kind of blessing he came to bring. 
We only understand that if we understand all of Scripture. We have to fully live in the blessing that God has given us because it makes it worth it. It's, it's like Jesus' parable of the, the treasure buried in a field and the man went and he sold everything he had because you know what? This thing, this experience with Jesus is better than anything else this world has to offer. I'll give up everything I have just to have this one field so I can have this treasure. Or the pearl of great price. It's a very similar parable. I, I will sell everything I have because this thing I have found is the most precious thing I could possibly have in my life. And it's better than anything else in the world. I'll give up everything else in the world for it. If you are not fully living within the blessings and the promises of God, then you are going to miss seeing him at work around you. And you will walk away when there's persecution. We have to fully live in the blessing that God has given us. The fifth thing we can do is we have to, and this is so important for us as a church, and this is so hard for us as a church right now, we have to live fully in community with other true believers. We lean on each other support each other we listen to each other we encourage each other part of my commitment to the conversation on racial reconciliation right now in our community is based not just because i believe it's right although i do but because of my friends who are struggling in a world that does not look racially equal to them they are my friends i love them and i'm not going to just walk through life because i got it made while they suffer love them. They're part of my brothers or my sisters. I want to live alongside of them. So as I do that, that's part of living fully in community that I want to do no matter what the oppression is for those who are struggling, for those who are being persecuted. We encourage each other. We build each other up. It would be a great place for a study of the one another's in Scripture. All the one another's and what it looks like for believers to care for each other. There's a whole bunch of them reason they're in there is that idea of reconciliation again and if you're practicing all of these things praying trusting the promises of god loving your enemies fully living in the blessings that god has given us living fully in community with other true believers sometimes the only thing that's left in the midst of persecution is to persevere is to keep going and just keep going and know and believe that these things are true paul just said it this way I'm going to keep doing this and I'm going to keep training myself and I'm going to keep beating the air and I'm going to keep you know, seeking to live out the gospel within my life because at the end of the day, I don't want to get to the end and miss the thing that I told everybody else about. I want to experience it. And sometimes perseverance hurts. It is uncomfortable. There is a way to experience Jesus so fully that we actually count persecution as a blessing. Jesus says, you'll be blessed if you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. If you're seeking to restore relationships, reconcile people with God and with each other, the world is going to persecute you. He's he's not saying it might happen. He's saying it will happen. But not only can you be blessed that way, James gives incredible teaching in this in which he says, listen, you should be really excited. (laughs) When things are not going your way, because that means God is doing something in you that you really want if you really know Jesus. He says in James 1, 2 through 4, Count it a joy when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. In other words, we can't actually fully be perfect and complete until we experience suffering, hardship, persecution 
The Holy Spirit's doing something in us we would not necessarily task the Holy Spirit to do if God was not in charge. How do we wrap all this up with a, tie, with a nice pretty bow? I don't know that there is a way to wrap it up with a nice pretty bow, but I will wrap it up with our redefining of this beatitude for us. And I, I pray that we would fully live these things out and ask for grace for uh, me uh, standing on a little bit of a soapbox today, but also join me as we seek to really be serious about living these things that Jesus has called us to. We're not going to have people patting us on the back always for fully living this out, but we're going to walk with Jesus, which is way better than that. One of the questions I'm going to be asking myself, and I would encourage you to ask yourself this, is, is there a group of people that I persecute? I mean, if I'm, if I'm tweeting or texting or posting or, or screaming at the top of my lungs, there ought to be prayer in school. Don't let those Muslims say anything in school. I'm going to tell you, that's religious persecution. That is religious persecution. Now, I don't believe that our message is the same, and I want my message to win out over their message. We have to recognize that sometimes the way of love means that we stop persecuting people who are different from us. Jesus didn't do that. He didn't persecute people who were different from him. Instead, he just offered invitation. Come and find out what this is really all about. Come and experience what this is really all about. Let us as a church do that. It doesn't mean people aren't going to be upset at things we say. It doesn't mean people aren't going to be upset at things we do. That's exactly the point of persecution. But let us make sure that our message is one of love not one of persecution ourselves because you don't believe or line up to the way we think you should. Very thin line for some of us. I'm going to be seeking to look for that in my own life. I encourage you to do the same. You are blessed when you are persecuted for seeking to live rightly and restore right relationships between people and people with God. You are blessed. The kingdom of heaven belongs to you. Father, just as I have no doubt the many people who were listening to Jesus as he gave this sermon are no doubt, uh, or were no doubt confused, not sure what he's talking about, or perhaps they weren't. Perhaps they knew all of those teachings from earlier parts in Scripture. And, and Father, I just I pray that for us, we would be a people that would not be afraid of persecution. And we also wouldn't be a people that sought it out. But when it came, we would be so full of your spirit, committed to walking with you and experiencing the joys of, of just being forgiven and knowing you and knowing that we have an eternity planned with you. I, I pray that we would stand strong. I pray that we would be at the very forefront of restoring relationships within our communities, especially right now, that you would give us wisdom and discernment to see fully what's happening and to address our hurting brothers and sisters on all sides. And I pray that you would bring reconciliation between us as a people, between our churches, that we would work together, between the races of our communities so that we would recognize we are all people with the same goals, hopes, and dreams. 
Father, we would be able to be a change within this world. They can experience the beauty of Christ just as we have. When the world pushes back, you would give us the strength to stand strong. We thank you for your love and your grace, the mercy you show us every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.